0: All right. Again, uh, it is the 18th of March. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen. You may or may not be listening in the morning, so I recognize that. So good day, good evening to you, however you're listening, wherever you are. I so appreciate your including me um, and sharing this time together. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I count it a total privilege. Um, I am lifting up prayers today for all of the families um, involved in uh I got. I mean, they're not all involved in, in this head-on collision that took place in Texas. So let me find a better way to say this. All of the families affected um, by this head-on collision that took place in Texas. Nine people were killed. Two University of Southwest uh, students remain in the hospital. Um, the 13-year-old boy who was driving the pickup truck, um, you know, we don't yet know that whole story. But in rural Texas— you know, I mean, I know that where you live, a 13-year-old driving a pickup truck is probably just really strange and hard to imagine or believe. Um, that's actually not really that hard for me to believe. Having lived for a number of years in uh, in rural Texas, those farmed market roads um, are used pretty frequently by um, farm families. You know, we don't know the story of this 13-year-old boy. What we do know is that surely he has a family that's not only grieving his loss today, but grieving the loss of uh of all of the lives taken when the pickup truck he was driving crossed the center um you know lane marker um and and hit this uh van head on that was transporting students from the University of the Southwest that is a small Christian college it has an enrollment of about 1100 students um And so we want to be praying for the University of the Southwest. We want to be praying for the families of all of the students and the coaches um, who died in this terrible accident. Um, And we want to be praying for the family of the 13-year-old who was driving. I also, you know, I want to pray for all the first responders. Um, I want to pray for the people in whatever the closest local community is. Um, I want to pray for people in all of the towns that will be uh, having funerals for very young people and, and then the concentric waves of grief that go out from there. In my own, uh, on my own day uh, today, this was you know sort of not in my plan just a few days ago, but Jim, my husband, and I will be um, participating in leading a memorial service for a friend, uh, Pat Talley, That's happening this morning. And so, um, you know, prayers, prayers for grieving families um, here and abroad. Um, And I just think that as we consider what's going on in our own homes and in our own communities and around the world, um, lifting one another up in prayer and being sensitive that death comes and it comes in unexpected ways at unexpected times makes me more mindful of the urgency of the gospel. So that's what's on my heart and mind today. What's on your heart and mind today? What do you, what are you praying over? For what do you need prayers? Who are the people in your spheres of influence who need to be lifted up in prayer today? Let, let's be the people who are, um, who are ardently doing that. Um, we have uh, Adam Holtz, who he joins us next. He joins us every Friday to talk about media headlines. I really wanted to ask him this question, um, which of course is not a real question, and so. Let me say that in advance. But here's the question I wanted to ask Adam. Hey, when can we expect the release of the next installment of the COVID-19 series? We hear that it's called Stealth Omicron Variant. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families. Plugged In. You can find what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. dot com. Welcome back, sir.
1: Hello, Carmen. How are you this morning?
0: Good. Stealth Omicron variant is about to be released, but not as a blockbuster.
1: No, probably not. It feels like a sequel nobody wanted.
0: Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you could write a little satire about that. Um, All right. Yes, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> let's lead off with um. Let's lead off with some reviews. Um. Let's yeah. start with which one do you want to start with, Ms. Marvel,
1: or well, Ms. Marvel is the trailer has been reviewed released. Oh, so trailer. Mm-hmm. It's not a movie yet. So, but we can talk about it briefly and why it's significant. Um. Yeah, we'll start there. So, Ms. Marvel is coming. Uh. And I. I am remiss. It's later this year. <laughs> I should have the date in front of me, but I don't. No, so you'll have, that's okay. We don't have, need to know because, you know, those are
0: moving. Those are like moving targets anyway. We're they all are. still waiting for the one with the top gun, right? I mean, yep. that, that so, hasn't happened yet. So
1: that's right. So Ms. Marvel, uh, if you're a comic book nerd, you know that the whole Marvel thing, not Marvel comics, but the character Marvel, there have been Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel. It's a character that has been reworked and redone multiple times. So this is about... an Islamic, uh, I think she's a Pakistani-American teenager in New York City who, uh, her name is Kamala Khan, and she is in love with the idea of being a superhero and she idolizes Captain Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and through a strange series of events becomes a teenage superhero herself. I think that this is significant because we continue to see Marvel take um classic characters and rework them with some kind of a a gender or cultural swap you know we had hawkeye became female we had Nick Fury went from being white to black. And this is significant because she is the first Islamic superhero that we will have seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I I think it's going to be interesting just to see what they do with her character. Um, But there's a lot of buzz about it. And I watched the trailer. The trailer looks super fun. I mean, she looks like a, a really engaging character. And I think the significant thing is I think that she is going to appeal to a younger audience which is, you know, potentially both good and bad. So we'll keep an eye on that one.
0: The The response and reaction um, of the Muslim world is going to be interesting as well. I mean, that's it just a be, whole nother yeah. whole nother layer to that conversation. Um, all right. How about um, how about reviews that you have up right now at PluggedIn.com um, that we should be talking about? How about When Calls the Heart?
1: When Calls the Heart is a lovely series on Hallmark that just started its ninth season. And if you are a When Calls the Heart fan, you have already watched the first two episodes of the new season. If not, it takes place in a Canadian community around the turn of the 19th to 20th century. And it is that that town is called Hope Valley. And this is a, it's a lovely drama. It's an ensemble drama about the characters there. it It's a total throwback. I mean, it feels like the Waltons or Little House on the Prairie. And uh, the core of the story revolves around a school teacher named Elizabeth. And the last couple of years, the story has really turned around whether she's going to pick one guy or the other um, to, uh, you know, be her love interest. And that happened at the end of last season, and they're picking up where they left off. So if you want really wholesome entertainment that has very, very few caveats, I mean, there might be a mild profanity here or there, but man, there is not much content-wise. My family, well, my daughters and my wife, my son, not so much. uh, We love this show, and we hate the choice that Elizabeth made last year, so every time her the guy she chose comes on. They, my girls like throw stuff at the TV, so that's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> All right, and I um I would love for you to give us a little um a little glimpse into cheaper by the dozen. Could we do that? I I think sure. that it is um okay. Great, talk about that yep. one.
1: So cheaper by the dozen. This is the third time by my count that this movie has been made. The last one, of course, starred Steve Martin. This time around, we have Gabrielle Union, um, who is a a black actress, and Zach Braff. Um, And they are they sort of do the, the Brady Bunch thing. They're a blended family. And between the two of them. Um, they have nine children. So he brings a couple, she brings a couple. They have two sets of twins on their own and they've adopted, not literally, but taken in a nephew who is quite troubled in his home life. So this couple plus 10 kids, I mean, really, do you need any more plot than that? Um, The spin this time around is obviously there is an interracial element with Gabrielle Union uh, being black and Zach Braff being white. And so uh, I think the film, in, in some really helpful ways, uh, you know, talks about that. At one point, her ex-husband says to Zach Braff, "As much as you try to help, you know, my children with the issues of being black, you're not black, and you can't completely understand what that feels like." And so mm-hmm. th- there's some, there's more depth here than you might expect. There's also maybe a couple more mild profanities and a little bit more innuendo than you might expect for a PG movie on Disney+. Plus. So I don't think it's a deal killer, but you'll definitely want to check out our full review before you watch this one.
0: Yeah, and you can check out the full review at PluggedIn.com. We're talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about why men don't sing in church. Why don't men sing in church? Hmm. We're going to find out next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm
1: going to be joyful. joyful. Yes, I am. Yes, I going to be joyful. joyful to you. All
0: right. Let me go ahead and uh, tell Adam uh, Holds from Focus on the Family's plugged in that we have a listener question about a 2019 movie called Mr. Jones, which uh, let me just go ahead and say Mr. Jones um, is a. Uh, 1930s storyline from the Ukrainian famine. It has very distressing scenes. That's uh, that's one of the things I know about it. So um, we might have to circle back around to that conversation because it has not been reviewed at PluggedIn.com. But it does lead us uh, to ask the question about the kinds of movies that families are um, turning to and media that families are turning to in the conversations related to the theme of war and this war in Ukraine specifically. Um, but Adam, I want to talk with you about an article that uh, that you read that resonated with you, why men don't sing in church. So first of all, do you not sing in church? Because I know you go <laughs> to church because your wife yeah. works at a church. Um, so, uh, so talk about this.
1: So if you do a search on this, there are tons of reasons that plumb the psychology of why men don't sing the, at church. Now, you know, it's It's not manly, it's too feminized, blah, blah, blah. This is not what this article is about. This article sort of examines how technology has impacted corporate worship for the history of the church. And it talks about how when the printing press came along, the first hymn was printed, hymnal was printed shortly thereafter in 1532. And you know, over the next four to five hundred years, we had a hymnal that has about a thousand songs in it of which, you know, we sang a couple hundred of those and everybody knows them, right? Or everybody did know them. And then it it makes the point that starting about 20 to 30 years ago, we began to project lyrics on screen. And that, you know, coincided with the explosion of the Internet and the availability of so much information And we no longer needed the hymnals. And so um, this article, which is written by a man named David Murrow uh, for 1230 Media, um, he talks about the technological impact. Uh, And so he says, uh, at first, churches simply projected songs everyone knew. But then that began to change. Worship leaders realized they could project anything on that screen. So they brought in new songs each week. They drew from the radio, the internet, worship conferences. Some began composing their own songs, performing them during worship and selling them on CD after church. In short order, we went from 250 songs everybody knows to 250,000 songs nobody knows. Um, And honestly. That resonated with me. I love our worship pastor. Uh, I think he's a remarkable person and a remarkable musician. But I would say most of the time, I have I have never heard most of the songs that we sing, and and so I'm disenfranchised. And I grumble to my wife, and she says, "You're 51. It's not for you. Don't worry about it. You know, man up, be mature, stop complaining about the worship." <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> um, But I think this is real, and I think that that we have the impact of technology here. Um, In one hand, it enables people's artistry and creativity, but on the other hand, it's just another example of how we have moved from, even in Christendom, a monoculture where we have a shared experience to something that's really, really, really fragmented, and only a few people maybe are insiders and know the stuff. And I think when it comes to singing – um, having familiarity with those songs is really important. And if we're unfamiliar, we probably are not going to have a deep emotional connection with them. So weirdly enough, I have really gravitated toward our traditional service because we do music that I actually know. So there you go. Hopefully I won't get in trouble by my wife or my church, but that's my my true confession this morning.
0: Well, I am feeling this in real time um, today because I am helping uh, Jem, my husband, um, officiate at a funeral of a friend. And, it, and the, and the funeral is going to take place or the memorial service is going to take place at the funeral home. And I feel really confident um, that the songs that have been selected um, will be sung by potentially two of us standing up front. Um, uh-huh. And I'm I'm not a singer. Right. But the reason that right. I say that is they're not they're not particularly familiar or the um or the arrangement of the one that is familiar. I mean, Amazing Grace is really familiar. If you're going to sing it at a funeral, you ought to sing the traditional one because you have the best chance of the most people knowing it. Like it's right. one thing to know the words. It's another thing to know a contemporary arrangement of a, of a song. Um, right. And so when we think about the ways in which. We gather together for worship um, in our own communities on on Sunday mornings, um, but then when we try to gather with others in um, in events of corporate worship, weddings and funerals, topping the list here, um, whether or not there's congregational singing is now a real question. And if right. there's well, not, and, and if there's not going to be congregational singing, then what kind of singing is there going to be?
1: Well, exactly, exactly, and. You know I, I think it 's hard to even have this conversation without just sounding like a cranky old person who's out of touch and,
0: and I am and, cranky you know, and
1: old okay. doesn't like you know the youth, which is basically my wife in a very gracious way tells me it 's not about me, and it 's not about me worship isn't mm-hmm. about me, and I would also say that I think sometimes we look to worship songs to give us a certain feeling. Um, I like that feeling, but I also would say that worship ultimately is not about having a feeling or experience. It's about expressing, you know, my relationship and my gratitude and my sense of wonder at my God. But all of the things being equal, if I can choose songs that help me have a feeling or that don't, I'm going to go with, with the first category. Um, so, you know, we could have a long conversation about that philosophically. But But I think that it's interesting— in, in a way how technology and how the internet and how our cultural values continue to influence the ways that we worship together. And I think that the point here is that we don't necessarily have a shared worship culture or experience, perhaps the way that we did even 20 years ago.
0: Completely agree. And it is a significant conversation. Um, so yeah, thank you for teeing that up for us to talk about today. Um, All right. uh, An observation um, by a listener circling back around on the question about the Mr. Jones movie. Um, uh, Listener Matt saying, oh, I didn't I, I wasn't suggesting it for families. Clearly not family friendly. The question he was, I think, asking is that we don't hear very much about the atrocities of the USSR Um, We hear a lot about Hitler. And so maybe that's a different question, Adam. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe as we look forward to conversations in the future, we can talk about movies and films that do help us see into um, the former USSR, because that is still the mindset of the current president of Russia, Vladimir Putin.
1: No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: So um, again, uh, we we will just keep um, pushing the the conversation forward about um, about themes related to war and the conversations that we want to um, want to be having about that um, because you know as always we're out of time. I yep. can't believe it. You're going to have to tell us next week. Okay, next week you had another assignment and that is we're going to want to know what's happening with Netflix because apparently. Um, there, you're going to have an extra fee if you've shared your password outside of your household. And so this outside of the household thing, um, is going to be curious, like college students, do they still get to use the password from their quote unquote household? I mean, if we're not living in the same place, anyway, I have lots of questions. Uh, Fortunately, only being tested right now in Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. So,
1: well, I know, know, but probably coming you know there's a discussion there to be had just about our sense of entitlement and at what point does sharing become stealing so there are yes. ethical questions here
0: okay so that's good let's uh let's plan on talking about that next week
1: sounds great i'm pushing uh,
0: i'm pushing ethical questions and questions about war often my week.
1: i have my war movie list ready to go we <gasps> could do a special Van. segment on that
0: Oh, fantastic. Okay, we're definitely that's we're leading off with that next week. That's Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, plugged in, one of my most reliable friends uh in uh-huh. this space. <laughs> all right, thank you, brother. We gotta take a, a very brief break. When we come back, we're gonna be in a conversation with each other. I'm calling it Friday Leftovers. That's up next You're on Mornings with Carmen.
1: All about you. And Earth adore you. He put that in your heart.
0: Well, good morning again, or good afternoon, or good evening. Uh, Matt just texted in that he gets to listen during his 20-minute drive to work, but then uh, he and his wife listen uh, later on the podcast to the rest of the program. And so, uh, good morning, Matt, but then also good afternoon or good evening to Matt and his wife whenever you're actually listening to this on the Faith Radio app, or you can always get it at MyFaithRadio.com. So, love it. Uh, I love that uh, we get to spend this time together, and I genuinely appreciate it. So, some um, some sad news from our K- our KTIS family uh, today: Keith Stevens, who you recognize if you listen to KTIS, um, you just you just recognize what an integral part Keith is uh, to the the broadcast ministry in the Twin Cities. Um, Uh, Keith's uh, wife, Sue, passed into the arms of Jesus early uh, Thursday morning. Um, Keith and Sue were high school sweethearts, and she's a woman of just tremendous joy, Um, and they just deeply, deeply uh, loved one another in sickness and in health, and then ultimately until death uh, did them part. Um, And so uh, thank you for praying with us for Keith and his four sons today, and and all of those who will be, uh, you know, personally affected by this loss. Um, when, we, when we think about the things that are happening and, we, and, they, and then those things get personal, um, we pray in a different way. We feel the headline news in a different way. Um, and things just got personal in Ukraine because news just hit really close to home, particularly for people living in Minnesota. James Whitney Hill was uh, a native of Minnesota, known to his friends and family as Jimmy or Jim. His sister, Cheryl Gordon, posted on her Facebook page that her brother had traveled to um, uh, Cherahiv, uh Ukraine, months ago from Diggs, Idaho, in order that he could support his partner. Her name is Ira, while she was receiving medical treatments there. And they became trapped in the city by war uh James uh, or Jimmy refused to leave Ida and so um he was going uh he was going to try to you know meet some of their physical needs he was one of the people standing in line standing in line in Cherniv waiting uh, for bread when russian snipers uh aimed and killed 10 of them and Jimmy Hill's body was uh, was found among the dead in the street. And so um, not only have we lost members of the journalistic community, um, we have now lost an American citizen who was in Ukraine, um, refusing to leave the side of the woman that he that he loved. And so um, I just think that it brings into real relief for each of us um, the challenges that we face in life and death. And ultimately, it all comes home. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. Consider the day that men will say, I think often uh, we, we consider the headline news of the day, and as we seek to bring the mind of Christ uh, to bear, you know, we're, we're heavy. There's a heaviness, and I recognize that. And I, um, so I want to I briefly address that here as we enter into a weekend where I expect the headlines coming out of Ukraine to continue to be god-awful. Um, and so we grieve and we weep and we send aid and we pray and we long for the day that the prophet Isaiah describes when God will judge between the nations, God will settle disputes between people. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day with deep longing. I also recognize that we do not yet live in that day. I've described it as the meantime Um, which is genuinely mean, or the even though time. Um, The already but the not yet is another way that these days are described. Um, Because in the day that's described by Isaiah, God reigns. God reigns as king and God's kingdom has fully come on earth as it is in heaven. Today's not yet that day, but that is the day to which we look forward and for which we long. So how is it in heaven? When we pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how is it in heaven? I mean, in heaven, every knee bows to Jesus. I mean, again, when, we, when, I, when I think about the day to which I look forward, I look forward to the day that the Apostle Paul describes. When every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I look forward to that day. I long for that day. I recognize that today is not yet that day. But in heaven, every knee bows to Jesus. In heaven, there's no need for the sun because the very radiance of God's glory illuminates everything, everywhere, all the time. Jesus tells us several parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, maybe that would be a, a good place to turn as you as you delve into the Word of God this weekend. Just look up all the places where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed into his field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. Uh, the kingdom of heaven... Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like, uh, 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 um, skipping ahead here, Um, comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom, five of them foolish, five of them prudent. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. These are all things that Jesus said, parables that he told, Um, many of them in the Gospel of Matthew, some of them in the Gospel of Mark as well. The kingdom of heaven may be compared, Jesus says, to a man who sowed good seed in his field, But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, the tares became evident as well. The kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. Um, The kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus gives us lots of indications of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so um, we're not left without resources. When uh, when we consider the king and the kingdom of heaven, when we consider how we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you consider what's coming and what God has revealed, life is going to be like. Um, and when you consider the realities between here and there and here and then, having a sense of what the kingdom of heaven is like enables us and equips us to then be ambassadors of that king in that kingdom. So when we talk about um, the kingdom of heaven and when we recognize that uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven um, being like seed planted in soil that produces crops, and then those crops are harvested, he says when the crop permits, he puts down the sickle because the harvest has come. There is a harvest that God expects among the people of this day, and we are the laborers he sends into that harvest. So for just a moment, I want you to allow God to bring to mind the one person you know, the one person you know, who is ripe for the harvest today. Who do you know who needs to have the seed of God's Word planted in the fertile soil of their life? Who do you know... Um. That the seed has already been planted and God has already been at work, and all they need to do is be invited in. Who do you know? What's the one person that God brought to mind just now? Because we understand that we're great commission people. Like, you know, God wants them all everywhere, every one of them, right? People in every nation under heaven. But God wants the person He just brought to your mind. God wants that person. And God wants to send you as the great commissionary to that person, empowered and entrusted by God with the message of reconciliation, with the hope of the gospel. God is making his appeal through us that other people would be reconciled to him. Yes, I know this world is filled with sorrow, pain, grief, privation, disease, disappointment, war. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. But I also know the name of the one who came to make all things new. So for our part today, for our part today, as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom, as the people who pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, let us be the people who till and plant and pray and then trust God to give the growth. And then, yeah, let us be the people who cultivate. Let us be the people who go out into those fields that are ripe for the harvest and invite people in. Invite people to become a part of the family of faith, the household of God, the redeemed people of God. Let's invite them from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from death to life. That's who we are as Christians, as great commissionaries in the world today. We are the people who found the bread and the living water for which we hungered and thirst. We're the people who know that righteousness is conferred to us in the person of Christ. Other people need that hope today here at home and around the world, in Minneapolis and in Mariupol, in Columbus and Cherhiv, in Memphis and Moscow. So where are the people in your life? Who is the person God brought to mind? When I ask, who do you know that is ripe for the harvest today? Because the great commission that Christ gave to you is the commission to reach that one for Christ today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen? I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio.
1: This is a kingdom. Down to the corners of the earth. This is a kingdom.
0: Come I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you again for including me in your day. Earlier this week, um, actually on Wednesday. The president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, gave a speech to the U.S. Congress, but the audience was not just the U.S. Congress. The audience included the president of the United States and the people of the United States of America and, frankly, the rest of the world. He has been um, giving speeches. Well, he gave uh, a speech um, to the British House of Commons. He gave a... um, a speech to the Canadian Parliament. He's been and uh, to the equivalent of the U.S. Congress in Germany. Um, he's been giving these speeches, and each one is very, uh, very well crafted to speak to the specific values of uh, of our nations, of of the people of our nations. And so, I want to talk about that because one of the things that Zelensky said in his speech on Wednesday was that we are fighting for the values of Europe and the world. We are fighting for the values of Europe and the world. And which, want you to think about that um, for just a moment. Uh, he went on um, to make this observation. Russia has attacked not just us, not just our land, not just our cities. Uh, it went on a brutal offensive against our values, basic human values. It threw tanks and planes against our freedom, against our right to live freely in our own country, choosing our own future, against our desire for happiness, against our national dreams, just like the same dreams you have, you Americans. Just to think about um, some of those phrases that he is seeking to bring home to us. Um, He wants to personalize and universalize the experience that they're having in Ukraine so that we will empathize. And it's very effective. I mean, he makes very perceptive observations. Um, Some of the language I don't want us to miss of the right to live freely in our own country. The right to live freely, the, the, the right to choose our own future. And he uses phrases like our national dreams, our values, basic human values. Those are um, heavy words. Those are words laden with a lot of meaning. The question is, how do you hear them and what do they mean, not only to you, but to those around you? What What are our national dreams as Americans today? I mean, we're so divided. We're so polarized. Do we have a shared national dream or shared national dreams? It's a good question. After delivering most of his speech in Ukrainian through a translator, Um, President Zelensky uh, closed by speaking in English. And first of all, I want you to just consider how challenging that would be if you were asked to deliver the portion of, uh, of comments over the course of a week, not only in English, but in German, in addition to your native language of Ukrainian. He told the members of Congress this. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you and those who are strong. And strong doesn't mean big. Big. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world, for human rights, for freedom, for the right to live decently and to die when your time comes, and not when it's wanted by someone else, by your neighbor. There is a lot in this uh, in this portion of the speech the the conversation, the question of peace, and from whence peace comes. And what peace can look like in our time. And whether or not, this is a Christian worldview brought to bear here, whether or not, without Jesus, there could ever be peace. In the human heart, in human relationships, between neighbors, between neighboring nations. Can there be authentic peace without Jesus? And this um, this notion about strength— um, that peace depends on strength. And strength depends on a readiness to fight. A readiness to fight for life and a readiness to fight for the citizens of the world. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a citizen of the world? Are not, is not every human being a citizen of the world? And then this conversation about human rights, what are those? Because he says here um, that this human right, this right to live decently and to die when your time comes and not when it's wanted by someone else, that must come down like a hammer on the head of people who advocate for abortion. If the most basic right isn't the right to have the chance at life, the freedom of the right to live, And to die when God ordains, when your time comes and not when it's wanted by someone else. I mean, did you hear those phrases of this speech? Can you leverage them in your conversations with others about life and peace and what it means to be a citizen, not of the world, but a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? There were um, a number of other uh, lines in Zelensky's speech that are worth lifting up, um, particularly where he quotes uh, Dr. Martin Luther King um, and the conversation about justice. It gives us an opportunity to talk about what justice means um, and what justice means from a biblical worldview and how that only comes um, from a believing people in the midst of of a believing I mean, in the context of belief, so um, I recognize that this speech was historic. I also think there are a lot of questions to be asked um, about the intersection of the the themes used, the values amplified, and the reality that many, many people in America and around the world no longer have. The um, the the moral system out of which to even have these conversations, they're not operating out of a set of values that enable them to have the kinds of conversations that Volodymyr Zelensky is asking us to have. Most people are simply operating out of their emotions, which is what makes the two and a half minute video that he included so powerful and so impactful. So as you're talking with folks over the weekend and praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, let's be weaving into those conversations, conversations about um, what peace really is and from whom it comes. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, I just want to um, close our conversation today with these reminders from the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Indeed, God is our Father. There is no shadow of turning with Him. He doesn't change. His compassions never fail. Um, He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning. He is the perfect provider for everything that we need. His faithfulness is great. In every season, summer, winter, springtime, and harvest, through the courses of the sun and the moon and the stars, um, we find ourselves joining with all nature in the worship of God. His faithfulness is great, as are his mercy and his love. The final verse of Great is Thy Faithfulness says this, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. I am praying that you would be strengthened today in your inner being. That you would have bright hope for tomorrow based on the promises of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that you would extend the blessings that are yours now in Christ to others who do not yet know him. Be blessed as you go forth in this day. Have a grace-filled weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.